Good morning, Brook Hills. It's good to see all of you here this morning um, on this great July day in the middle of the summer. My name is John Butterfield. I'm the pastor of local disciple making here at the Church of Brook Hills. And so um, we're going to jump in this week into the second week of our sermon series on the book of Proverbs. So um, if you want to find Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to be spending some good time there this morning. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, that's a little more than halfway through your Bible, right after the book of Psalms. Or if you want to grab your device, uh, that would be great too. So in sixth grade, I had a small group leader. There were a bunch of us uh, um, 12-year-old boys. And uh, just let me say, any human being who would be willing to lead a bunch of 12-year-old boys for an entire year gets extra credit, Right. Um, a little bit of life, a little bit of craziness going on. But I, I remember one thing from my sixth grade year. Um, the small group leader, he, he, he said this. He said, if you read the book of Proverbs, you'll be rich. And so I was on it, right? I had a stack of road and track magazines in the corner of my room. And it's like, I got to get to work on this. Um, right, so um, I read the book of Proverbs in just a matter of weeks. It wasn't very long, and uh, of course, you know how Proverbs ends. It ends with uh, chapter thirty-one talking about a virtuous wife. So here I am, twelve-year-old boy. I finished the book of Proverbs, and it was what was what was that? Um, I, I don't get that at all. You know, you get little bits and pieces out of it, but you don't. You know, it's. Uh, Wow, that's confusing. And uh, let me just say, to take, to take the pressure off a little bit, Proverbs can be a difficult book. You know, there are little bits and pieces sprinkled throughout Proverbs that are really easy to understand. And there are other things that, you know, it was written to a different audience at a different time. And, and uh, uh, it can be difficult. So one of the things I try to do when I do Bible study, just really simple, easy stuff every time, is I want to define terms. So I'm looking up definitions of words. And I'm trying to remove assumptions. I know that sometimes I take baggage, uh, personal baggage or cultural baggage or whatever it is to the Scripture. So I want to try to allow the Scripture to stand on its own. So here's some terms, right, and some explanations. So I found a definition of the word proverb that I really like. Um, here it is. Uh, a proverb is a short sentence based on a long life. That's pretty insightful. You know, wisdom doesn't come easy. Wisdom isn't necessarily cheap. Sometimes it just takes more time on the planet uh, to gain wisdom. Proverbs still exist today. So um, this, this may be the audience participation part of our program today, but um, you guys know some of these Proverbs, so I'm going to throw some out to you. Two wrongs don't make a... Right, correct. The pen is mightier than... This one is a little bit more obscure, but I like it a lot. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Very good. Y'all are awesome. That's above average right there. When the going gets tough, the tough gets... All right, so, so those, are, those are good. So here are a couple more. Hope for the best. Prepare for the worst. A picture is worth a thousand words. This may be the Brook Hills theme proverb. Are you ready? Better late than, isn't that funny? Just kidding, just kidding. We all live there, I understand. The good news is we all can blame 280 all the time. So 
So out of jail. So here's wisdom. Here's some ideas about what wisdom is. Wisdom is good sense, good judgment, accumulated learning, a wise attitude, belief, or course of action. Okay, um, when we talk about wisdom, we're talking about masterful understanding, mastering a skill, being an expert. Um, and for our purposes, a couple of things here. Gaining wisdom is not about learning facts or hacks or adding supplements. It's about learning how to live. So when we're talking about wisdom, we're talking about how to live. And, and even more specifically, true wisdom is based on the words, character, and actions of the living God. And that living God piece is important, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. So with that in mind, let's look at Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 20. We're going to read verses 20 through 33, and uh, it's a dramatic picture here of Lady Wisdom. Um, so Proverbs 1, verses 20 through 33, starting in verse 20. Wisdom calls out in the street. She makes her voice heard in the public squares. She cries out above the commotion. She speaks at the entrance of the city gates. How long, inexperienced one, ones, will you love ignorance? How long will you mockers enjoy mocking and you fools hate knowledge? If you respond to my warning, then I will pour out my spirit on you and teach you my words. Since I called out and you refused, extended my hand and no one paid attention, since you neglected all my counsel and did not accept my correction, I in turn will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when trouble and stress overcome you. Then they will call me, but I won't answer. They will search for me, but won't find me. Because they hated knowledge, didn't choose to fear the Lord, were not interested in my counsel, and rejected all my correction, they will eat the fruit of their way and be glutted with their own schemes. For the apostasy of the inexperienced will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live securely and be undisturbed by the dread of danger. So, what's different substantively about Proverbs in the Bible? So, Proverbs in the Bible are not based purely on pragmatism, okay? Many of the current Proverbs we hear today are completely self-serving. Proverbs are based on the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the solid foundation that taps into real wisdom. Proverbs are more than getting things done with a view to success. Now, there's that flavor in Proverbs, but there's more. Wisdom that is based on the Lord, wisdom that's based on the fear of the Lord, is generational, for one. It affects families and communities for generations, Wisdom that's based on the fear of the Lord is kingdom-focused. This kind of wisdom is for God's glory. Wisdom that's based on the fear of the Lord is sustained by the active spirit of God in our lives. He fuels it. This is an impact. that This kind of wisdom impacts uh, us in a way that makes a difference and lasts. The impact that wisdom makes is also seen through the results that it brings. 
So here's some examples of results in Proverbs. For example, health, prosperity, social honor, things like that. These, these promises, these promises of results are generally based on experience and common sense. So it's general. We have to remember that. Um, but we, we got to remember they're, they're based on general experience and common sense. So here's some examples. Who usually is healthy and wealthy and prosperous and has social honor? The sober person, not the drunkard. Generally, that's true in the book of Proverbs. The cool-tempered, the level-headed, not the person who has a hot temper. The diligent as opposed to the lazy. When we read Proverbs, we need to remember that there's other biblical wisdom that we need to keep in mind. For instance, sometimes the innocent suffer. Sometimes the wicked prosper. Sometimes things happen that we don't understand. But generally, big picture, wisdom gives us the kind of life and the quality of life that only God can provide. And we can see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And here's the difference that having a living God makes. The righteous, those who follow God, those who listen to the wisdom of God, have a future that outlasts death. We have a hope because God continues to work and he's a living God and who's made us promises that extend into, etern- into eternity. So there are some examples of this kind of wisdom in the New Testament that in some ways are kind of hiding in plain sight. Okay, so think about this. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if you think about it, this, use this little grid. Let's put a little grid together. You can look through the grid. Those are descriptions of wise living and the results of wise living. How should I live as a person? What would be a wise way to live? It'd be really wise to live in the joy that God brings. It would be wise to live peacefully and with patience and kindness. And I live that way. I know that those are the results that I'll have, right? 1 Corinthians 13. So this this is a passage we know really, really well. But look at 1 Corinthians 13 thinking about what wisdom looks like. Verse 4, love is patient, love is kind. Do you see this wisdom thing kind of seeping through? Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, does not keep a record of wrongs. This is a wise way to live. This shows us how integrated the Scripture is, and it shows us how integrated the character of God is in the Scripture. Right? Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. That is so wise. It bears all things, believe, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And if we meet somebody that looks like that, chances are we're going to think that that person is a solid believer, but we're also going to think that that person is a wise person. Okay? So, a couple of examples. Now, back to our passage. What's happening here is wisdom comes alive. We've got a personification of of wisdom, lady wisdom, and she's offering instruction to everyone. It's a real powerful passage. It's It's a really good picture. You can see the setting. You can feel her intensity. 
and a little negatively, but we got to understand that the main emphasis in this passage is on those who reject wisdom. So that's why this passage is titled, or this sermon is titled, Listen. What she's trying to do is help her, her hearers, her readers, to listen to what she's saying. So we're going to look at this passage in three sections, all right? Verses 20 through 23, that's one section. Verses 24 through 27, and then verses 28 through 33. And so for just a little bit, we're going to stick pretty close to the text. So you want to keep your Bibles open, and if you're an underliner or a highlighter in your Bible, you might have a couple opportunities to do that. So let's look first at verses 20 through 22. Verse 20, wisdom calls out in the street. She makes her voice heard in the public squares. She cries out above the commotion. She speaks at the entrance of the city gates. How long, inexperienced ones, will you love ignorance? How long will you mockers enjoy mocking and you fools hate knowledge? So wisdom here, she's calling out to anyone who will listen. She's not waiting for a group of people to gather. She's, she's in the open public commercial square. She's not in a narrow street. And she can be heard above the voice of the crowd. No one in this scene can say, I can't hear what she's saying. Everyone can hear what she's saying. She's crying out above the commotion, and she's passionate and fired up and emotional. This is, the point here is not gentle persuasion. She's saying, listen to me now. She's where the people are as well. So she's not uh, worried about just finding uh, this person here or that person there. Wisdom is not a secret mystical, difficult-to-access kind of thing. None of us need an appointment or a large bank account or some kind of special mystical knowledge to find wisdom. God is completely available, but we have to remember that God demands to be heard on his own terms. No one can say, I want wisdom my way. I want the kind of wisdom that I want. No, it's the Lord's wisdom. Okay. Most of, well, most of us, that's funny. All of us in here have moms. Right? Most of us, some of you guys may know that moms have a unique ability to use the same words to say different things in different ways. I don't know if any of you have had that experience. This is a little hard to talk about, so this is my... This is my uh, probably weak attempt at drama, but you guys are going to have to stick with me here. So let's, let's just take a dirty clothes example. So some of us may be able to hear our moms begging us to put away our dirty clothes, right? Would you please put away your dirty clothes? Anybody ever heard that? Some moms can say the same thing, the same words, and make it a threat, preferably with an eye twitch. Would you please put away your dirty clothes? And sometimes insert the middle name in there, and then you know you're in trouble, right? Sometimes you can say that, and you can say, you can fuse both of those things together. So there's a plead and a beg, and then there's a threat. Would you please put away your dirty clothes? That's exactly what's happening here. This is what Lady Wisdom is doing. She's asking, how long, how long? Wisdom is in front of you. Please don't wait. 
I can't believe we're still at this place and still having this discussion. Listen. She's saying, stop rejecting wisdom and be ready for the rebuke or correction that you're about to receive. There are three kinds of people here. So let's look at the three kinds of people. I'll give you those. There are inexperienced ones, there are mockers, and there are fools. So inexperienced ones, those are those who uh, would tend to be younger, and they're different than mockers and fools. This is possibly a reference to young people who've continued to reject the wisdom and teaching of their parents. They should have made a decisive commitment to wisdom before now. And when it says they love ignorance, the flavor here is they strongly desire it. They really want it. Um, Here's how that looks. They remain uncommitted and open to multiple self-serving paths. It's like, I know God's ways this way, but I'm going to keep my options open for a while. That's what an inexperienced person is going to do. And Lady Wisdom is, is asking, how long is this going to continue? How long uh, until you stop acting like a child? Okay. Mockers are a little different. That's not a word that we use in a technical way very much anymore. But uh, a person who mocks actively resists and ridicules. That's what a mocker looks like. Mockers can be sophisticated and calculating and highly intelligent. Mockers enjoy, crave, and love what they do. And what do they do? They make fun of or laugh at wisdom. They make fun of and ridicule those who pursue wisdom. In the end, what they end up doing is they make fun of and laugh at and ridicule God himself and those who follow him. This is really evident. Another, another passage where wisdom is, is hiding in plain sight. Uh, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is the way the entire book of Psalms begins. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or what? Sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. His delight is in the Lord's wisdom and teaching, and he meditates on it day and night. The Lord's instruction here is wisdom. There are two ways. There's God's way, and there's the wicked, sinner, mocker, or fool's way. There's wisdom, and there's foolishness. In the book of Proverbs, there's not an in-between. Okay? So that's uh, inexperienced mockers and then fools. Here are fools. Fools lack judgment and self-discipline. Fools lack common sense, and they don't know how to use resources. Fools lack caution in the face of danger. What, what are, what's our key phrase in the South for a fool? Hey, y'all, watch this. What's the missing ingredient here? A water ski ramp. A 96 4x4 pickup with a lift kit going 40 miles an hour and four bales of hay. A fool. You put a fool in that mix, you've got a great YouTube video. It's like, this time I'm going to cheat the laws of physics. It's going to happen. This lack of judgment is by choice. Fools make a choice. A fool is not someone who's ignorant. 
who just innocently finds himself or herself in a horrible situation. A fool is someone who has chosen to be a fool and deliberately abandoned or pushed away God in his ways. Verse 23. If you respond to my warning, then I will pour out my spirit on you and teach you my words. Wisdom offers instruction and correction that is personal and direct. This is an offer to the young and experienced who are capable of understanding. She's saying turn back while there's still time. This is a solid picture of what repentance looks like. We turn to God and turn to his wisdom. He fills us with his spirit and knowledge and gives us new abundant life. I'll give my spirit and my words to you in a way that you'll never forget. Responding to wisdom's warning here implies action. This is not just a change of mind or a change of heart, but it's acting and living differently. Okay, so let's look at the second section here, verses 24 through 27. Ignoring wisdom is dangerous. Ignoring wisdom is dangerous. Wisdom demands that we listen. Ignoring wisdom is dangerous. Verse 24, since I called out and you refused, extended my hand and no one paid attention, since you neglected all my counsel and did not accept my correction, I in turn will laugh at your calamity and will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when trouble and stress overcome you. Since I called out and, re and you refused, since you neglected what I'm saying and did not accept my correction. In other words, there's not a place for anyone here to say, I didn't hear you. And then she takes the next step, and this, is a, this hits us a little funny, I think. I will laugh at your disaster and loss. This laughter here is not being cold-hearted, but it's a dramatic way to convey how foolish it is to choose our path, choose a foolish or wicked path rather than the path of wisdom. And so this is an inward joy, what we see, an inward joy and disrespect, possibly, that the general of a huge army would feel toward the defeat of a weak, unworthy enemy. This is a lopsided, almost comical victory. Okay, so I was just trying to think about what would illustrate uh, something like this. So um, for instance, this is George Custer and 366 troopers charging into the largest gathering of Lakota and Cheyenne warriors ever. The result wasn't good. This is a street gang in El Paso, Texas, going out to Fort Bliss, knocking on the front door and saying, I want to pick a fight with the 1st Armored Division. That's not going to turn out well. Okay, so this is a literary way. What, what is happening here, it's a literary way to shock rebellious people into listening. Everyone who can hear, listen to what I'm saying. Our own devices will boomerang against us. And again, this concept is in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. And notice the words used here. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. This is wisdom. 
Tim Keller puts it this way. You can never get out of romance, money, and accomplishment the fulfillment that only a relationship with God can bring. So life in a world without God will indeed feel futile and absurd. A storm of ruin will overtake those who refuse wisdom and correction. The storm will be sudden and catastrophic, and wisdom rejoices at its coming. Around the turn of the 19th century, 20th century, there was a weatherman named Isaac Klein who lived in Galveston, Texas. And in September of the year 1900, he noticed the weather starting to change and patterns starting to change, and he became alarmed and started looking at what little information he had, and he, he uh, uh, projected or became aware that there was a bad storm coming. So on September 8th of that month, he noticed that clouds were rolling in, partly sunny day, a little bit of rain, huge surf, a lot of waves, similar to what we uh, have seen on the news this weekend a little bit, but he rode up and down the beach in Galveston yelling at people. He and his brother got their horses and rode up and down saying, get off the beach or get to a safe place or leave the island. And he was nearly soundly completely ignored. And on September 9th, the next day, a Category 4 hurricane hit Galveston Island. And that day was the worst natural disaster ever to happen in the United States. People say between six and 10,000 people died in that storm. The high casualty figures were due to the fact that no one expected a storm like this to happen. And even when they heard warnings, people did nothing. In fact, some of them continued to play in the ocean. We've all seen examples of tornadoes or tsunamis who overtook people who had no idea they were coming or even after they were warned to leave. This is what's happening here. She's talking about a storm, the sudden overtaking of the storm, and this is the center point of this passage right here. It's a chilling promise to those who didn't listen to wisdom's call. She'll laugh, mock, and refuse to answer those who didn't listen when trouble comes their way. In the end... Wisdom rejoices when justice arrives, and justice has arrived. Verses 28 through 33 then finish the passage by talking about the two ways. There are two ways, ignoring wisdom and listening to wisdom. So at this point, what happens is wisdom then turns. She's addressing a group of people, but then she... There's a third-person pronoun. She turns to talk to everybody else because she wants everybody else to listen because these people are not. Verse 28 says, Then they will call me, but I won't answer. They will search for me, but won't find me. Distance replaces intimacy. She, she's not going to address the people who won't listen anymore. She's reinforcing the finality and certainty of the death of those who reject wisdom. This recalls Micah, verse, uh, Micah chapter 3, verse 4. Micah 3, 4. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because of the crimes they have committed. 
Okay. So the next four verses, beginning in verse 29. Because they hated knowledge, didn't choose to fear the Lord, were not interested in my counsel, and rejected all my correction, they will eat the fruit of their way and be glutted with their own schemes. For the apostasy of the inexperienced will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. So in this section here, the rejection of wisdom is now revealed. It's revealed for what it really is. It's the rejection of the Lord. And this rejection was not done out of ignorance, but out of choice. Going back to verse 22, remember, uh, rejection here is active. People loved ignorance and enjoyed mocking and hated knowledge. The fools decide against the way of wisdom, against God's path. And instead, they decide to pursue another way of life. And this way of life doesn't recognize God or the value of wisdom that he abundantly provides. Since the fools didn't accept wisdom's advice, their own schemes or plans or courses of action will then be their reward. This is the fruit that leads to death. Another little proverb here, you are what you eat. This is what they've chosen to eat. We can't ignore, mock God, uh, ignore God, mock God, or hate God in his ways and expect results that don't line up with the way that we've lived. The word complacency here, this is a neat picture. In verse 32, the complacency of fools will destroy them. Just about every place else in the Old Testament, that word complacency is translated as the word peace or safety or security. So it's almost like it says the peace or security of fools will destroy them. But it's a false sense of security. This is uh, the fool hiding from a hurricane in a cardboard box. There's no protection there. Okay? But 33 is big for us. Verse 33 is really important. It says, But whoever listens to me will live securely and be undisturbed by the dread of danger. Wisdom once again calls out to be heard and attaches a promise. And this promise uh, to safety, this is a promise of safety, those who will listen and walk along wisdom's path. And listens here, if you look at the word, listens is present tense. Listening uh, to wisdom is a continued, lifelong pursuit. And if we think we can get to a certain place in our lives to say, I've got enough wisdom, we know that what we're doing is probably self-serving. Because we gain wisdom, one of the reasons we gain wisdom is to give wisdom, away, give wisdom away. One of the best things we can do with wisdom is to give it away. We can never have enough wisdom because we can never give away enough wisdom. Right? So this is parents and grandparents. We must actively pursue wisdom so we can actively and consistently give away wisdom to our kids. I'm going to put on the old youth minister hat just for a second. So you guys uh, just hang with me here. But let me just say this. It's hard to do this if, as a parent, we assume the posture of best friend instead of parent. Children don't need to be in charge. Okay? And and, and, and in my career and what I've done, I've seen four-year-olds in charge. I've seen fourth-graders in charge. I've seen 14-year-olds in charge. And it never really turns out well. Our children deserve the good teaching and wisdom that we can give. And if you're a student in the room, you need to ask for that wisdom. You need to ask mom and dad, help me make this decision. Help me to know the right path. 
This is another way that we listen to and follow God and value wisdom in our lives. Those people who listen to and fear and follow and love God will not face judgment. Okay, this is not the opposite of hiding from a hurricane in a cardboard box. Okay, what God's promising us here is we don't have to worry about the hurricane at all. He's got us. There's no better place to be than in God's hands, period. So again, New Testament example, what does this look like? Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. And pay attention to the words here. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like what? A wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like what? A foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house. And it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority, one who knew deep wisdom, one who had the wisdom of the Lord and not like their scribes. So, let's talk about what this means just for a minute. There are three roles that wisdom takes here. The three roles of wisdom in this passage. Number one, wisdom is a teacher. Wisdom is a teacher. Wisdom is giving advice. She's rebuking, correcting, and counseling. She's teaching us how to live. Okay? Secondly, wisdom is a prophet and calls for repentance. So when we use prophet in this sense of the term... We're not talking about someone who's foretelling the future. She's speaking God's message to people. She's saying, pay attention. Turn while there's time. And third, wisdom points toward the words and actions of the Lord. When the Lord speaks and acts, he does so out of infinite wisdom. Wisdom's listeners are to show their fear for the Lord by turning to wisdom for correction and counsel. So bottom line, three roles. Wisdom teaches, corrects, and offers her listeners a relationship with the living God. And just to make a note here, we don't worship wisdom. We worship God. To seek wisdom without God is idolatry. To find and walk in wisdom, we must know, love, and fear the Lord. Secondly, let's talk about the character of God just a little bit. Warnings are a sign of grace. Warnings are a sign of grace. These warnings, even if they're threats of destruction, are signs of grace and love when they are given to keep those whom God loves from destruction. Okay, and we don't have time to get into it today, but, but Romans 1, 18 through 32 is worth checking out when you have a little bit more time. But it illustrates this perfectly. People who don't want to have anything to do with God will get their wish. In the end, calamity comes to people who ignore God. People who want to use God for their own selfish purposes will get what they deserve. God being God 
will not be mocked. He's not a genie in a bottle that we can just call out when necessary and put back when it's convenient. What's wisdom? Romans 1, 5, and 6 is a great definition of wisdom. Romans 1, verse 5, it says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith. That's wisdom for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. As we discover God's grace in the portrait of wisdom, we also recognize that we are people who need that grace. So with that in mind, we can know that God has love and care for wayward people. God has love and care for wayward and that's us. God loves us. All of us know the reality is that we can be easily led, led astray. Okay? And some of us are old enough to remember a hymn called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I know where I was sitting and where I was singing it. I can smell that church, right? Um, but verses 2 and 3, the English is different, so it's a little hard for us to get at sometimes, but I think it's strong because I, I really like this hymn because there's emotion in it. There's truth in it, but you can feel the emotion. So come thou fount, verse 2. Here I find my greatest treasure, hither by thy help I'm come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. And here's what I'm talking about. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger bought me with his precious blood. Verse 3, O oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Here's the emotion piece. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. For those of us who are believers, we know that we should follow Jesus. And we know that we should want to follow Jesus. But every day, the other path that leads away from him calls us or tries to exert its influence on us. Every day, we must consciously choose Jesus. Every day. This is the choice that leads to security, freedom, and abundant real life. The warnings from Proverbs are God's love and care for us. There are examples in the book of Proverbs. Warnings about choosing friends wisely. Warnings about unjust gain. Warning us about the danger and harm that will come to us if we choose to live without correction and instruction. No one likes to be corrected, but all of us need it. All of us need it. So here's, a, here's an insightful question I picked up along the way uh, as I was preparing for this message. If the answer is, um, uh, well, let me, I'm skipping ahead. How do you know when you're wrong? How do you know? Wrong is not cool anymore, right? But as Christians, as believers, we need to ask people into our lives to help us find the right path. If I say I'm never wrong or I can't remember the last time I was wrong, there may be a problem. All of us, all of us need affirmation, encouragement, and validation. All of us need that. And all of us need correction. All of us. 
Looking for, accepting, and acting upon correction is wisdom. We can't have wisdom without personal, meaningful, sometimes stinging correction. So think about these scenarios. I want to be an expert in martial arts, but I don't want anybody to ever touch me. How's that going to go? Probably not going to learn very much. I want to be a world-class distance runner, but I don't ever want to experience any kind of pain or exhaustion. Not in my feet, not breathing hard, and particularly that little side pain thing. I don't ever want that. Not going to work well. I want to be a champion fisherman, but I don't ever want to touch a worm. And I'm, I, This is way outside of my comfort zone, but here, this is for everybody else in the room. I want to be a world-class ballerina, but I don't ever want my toes to hurt. Now check this one out. I want to be considered a wise person for the glory of God, but I don't ever want to be corrected. Wisdom's warnings are a communication of God's love. Having wisdom helps us to not hurt ourselves, and having wisdom helps us to not hurt or harm others. Okay? Next, biblical wisdom is countercultural. Just by being people who follow the Lord's path, people who follow the Lord's wisdom, that's countering the culture that we live in. There are a lot of folks who subscribe to the pop culture religious version of Christianity, and all of us need to be really careful about this and aware that this happens. And here's why we need to be careful. We're all pop culture people, all of us. It's, it's the water we swim in here. Okay, We're surrounded by it. We're profoundly influenced by it. Pop culture is present in nearly every part of the world, and pop culture and biblical culture are often directly opposed to each other. So this is what I'm talking about when, when I'm talking about removing assumptions. So I'm going to put two columns up here and explain this a little bit, but I think it'll be helpful to you. You've got those two columns in your worship guide. So the, the top of the uh, uh, the, the left-hand column is pop culture, and underneath that uh, heading are some values or characteristics of what make pop culture work, and you'll recognize every single one of these. So uh, a big value in pop culture is accessibility. Accessibility. So that mean, that's what that says is I should have whatever I want. I should have options. I want lots of choices, and those choices should be easy to access. I expect choices. I'm not going to a restaurant and buying the one thing that you have. I want choices, right? Pop culture also values immediacy. I should have it now. I shouldn't have to wait for the things I want. I want it right now. Pop culture also, lastly, values pleasure. Whatever it is, out of these choices that I have, the thing that I'm going to pick, I want it right now, and it should make me feel good. It should make me happy or give me joy, or it should dull my senses to uh, reality. It should dull my perception. And that's the world we live in. Other side of the column, biblical wisdom. And you'll see kind of how these things line up with biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom says sometimes we may not want what the Lord says we need. God actually knows better. 
Sometimes he's going to remove choices instead of giving more. Wisdom doesn't always come easy. Okay, instead of immediacy, biblical wisdom values patience. When we're talking about wisdom, we're talking about God's time, not my time. We're talking about generational impact and long-term outcomes. Okay, we're talking about how glaciers move, something that changes the landscape over time. That could be in our lives, it could be in our church's life, it could be in our community, our family, whatever. And biblical wisdom, as opposed to pleasure, says sometimes wisdom requires pain or a sting or comes as a result of suffering. Life lessons and correction aren't always fun, but they have value. Tim Keller, again, uh, says this about it. The reality is that wisdom cannot be conveyed by a series of TED Talks or executive briefings because wisdom comes not through acquisition of knowledge, but through long experience and reflection, it takes years to produce. Okay. So, next thing we need to take away here, final thing, there's a limited time to respond. There's a limited time to respond. This passage makes it clear that there's a limited time respond because it's God's way. Now, here's what God says. There are, there are ample opportunities for second chances. Lots of opportunities for second chances. The time for second chance, though, being long is limited. Second chances are long but limited. Now, catch this. This is not original to me, but I really like it. God loves us just the way we are, but loves us too much to let us stay where we are. God loves us just the way we are, but loves us too much to let us stay where we are. This is what sanctification is. What does wisdom offer? Second chances, prevention, preparation for the future, invitation to growth, protection, and security. So thinking about my sixth grade teacher, when he's uh, my sixth grade small group leader, and he's, he's telling a bunch of knucklehead boys, Read Proverbs and you'll be rich. It's taken me a few years to figure this out, but if you look at Proverbs and thinking about the economy of God, here's, here's what rich means. Just a short little, just some thoughts. Being rich means living a life that has great value. Having good friends, being a good friend, raising your children well, leaving a legacy, learning as much as possible, in order to help as much as possible. Seeking wisdom and gaining wisdom so I can come alongside people in the journey. A life that has great value is a life infused with wisdom. And this is not pragmatic, self-centered, or short-term wisdom. We value wisdom not only because it benefits us and benefits others, but ultimately because it pleases God. Wisdom that is the Lord's wisdom comes from a position of humility, understanding, and, uh, under, and, and, and accepting the fact that wisdom itself is a gift from God. So in order to find and receive the wisdom and gift, uh, gifts of God, we need to fear the Lord. We've already uh, heard that this morning in worship. What is fearing the Lord? It's worshipful submission. It's reverent obedience. It's putting him in his rightful place, respecting him deeply. There is a God, and I am not him. All of these things are countercultural. 
We need to trust him completely as we should. So, to fear the Lord means, as a first foundational step, to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. To do otherwise is to refuse his free, gracious, loving offer. And the way Proverbs says it, that's to live like a fool. Receive the gift of life and grace that he has given us in his son and follow him in obedience, in obedience which is wisdom. So Paul Koptak, a commentator, says this, Proverbs offers more than tips for success or even for moral guidance. It holds out wisdom as an invitation to relationship with a loving Lord. So to finish up here, here, here are your last two notes in your worship guide. At the end of the day, being rich in wisdom is not just about health, prosperity, or success. It's about substance, goodness, and faithfulness. This is a reflection of the gospel. And last note on the page, the gospel is the gateway to wisdom. The gospel continues to help us value wonder, grace, and humility. The gospel opposes selfishness and self-centeredness. And the gospel leads to abundant life now, in the future, and forever. Listen to wisdom and listen well.